Am I making any sense? All right, my friends, today is a very special episode. Uh, today's guest, he's a hilarious dude. He's really funny. You'll, you'll love him instantly. You can catch him performing on Zoom mics all over the interweb. He is co-creator, co-host of Good One Comedy, Weekly Mic, and Twice Monthly Showcase. He is also the co-creator of the awesome podcast, and that was awesome. The ever-diligent Sean Gibbs. Yay, me, diligence. Yay. That's my only talent. <laughs> diligence. Hey, wasn't it? Um, uh, there's a comic on the scene, and so it, he, he has a joke about the Woody Allen statement that says, um, basically, Woody Allen said, 90, just showing up is 90% of, ah, oh shit, I'm fucking this quote up. Anyway, the point of the quote is you got to show up to do the work. And my God is Sean Gibbs showing up to do the work. So Holy first shit. off, talk to me about this zoom mic. I do a lot of, uh, well, not a lot. I do a number of zoom comedy mics and good one. Comedy is the only one that's been as consistent for as many days or as long as it has. So talk to me about this good one. First off, when did you start? I've had Mike on the podcast, so I've got his part of the story, but it's absolutely amazing. You're doing it seven days a week. Am I right? Yeah. Fucking A, Sean. Um, so tell me, how how did you get into all this and why seven days a week? Um, I think what Woody Allen meant to say was, uh, if you show up 90% of the time with a pubescent girl that will end up in divorce and you being scrutinized for the rest of your entire life and basically canceled. Uh, but anyway, uh, uh, we started this like a week after the pandemic, uh, started. I was with, uh, with John Lisman and Mike Malone and, uh, John was doing it five days a week. And then, um, I was just doing it on the weekends. And then it was like, why don't we just do it? every single day at five and eight and I got a little pushback, yeah. but I was just like, I'll take on all the duties. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, John left cause he wanted to do more outside stuff. So for, for about a month I was doing five and eight every single day I can. Um, because Malone was busy, I think. And he filled in a little bit, but, uh, yeah. And so how has that been? Has that been exhausting or is it just something that now you look forward to and you can handle it? I think there's a weird thing that happens with zoom and uh, there's zoom fatigue and I started to take care of myself a little better. I have special glasses I put on. I didn't put them on for this, but I got a special screen for my computer yeah. and then I try not to actually look at comedians as much. Yeah. Uh, try to listen people. more. Yeah. But then I want to look at animated people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I started to fall apart a couple of times. I was getting burnt out and fried. Yeah. Then I started taking some ashwagandha a few weeks ago. I seemed to be more <laughs> mellow. And then I don't know what it, that they, is. They, can they you put it in those sleepy gummy things that you can chew and give yourself cavities right before oh, you sleep. Dude, you know what? There is a bit somewhere with the gummy vitamins because um, it's odd. I used to take vitamins like the proper GNC vitamins when I was, uh, let's say, a young man in my 20s. But now I'm in my mid 40s and it's like all I want to do is gummies. I don't want any of that capsule <laughs> shit. Give me the gummies, but I know they're rotting my teeth out because I feel it when I'm eating them. Like this feels like pure sugar in my mouth, which is I think why I'm drawn to them. Oh yeah, I was doing the sleepy gummies, and I got 13 cavities in one year. And you, yeah. so you think you can pretty confidently attribute it to those gummies, probably, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. And uh, every once in a while, if I drink too much, I'll uh, sleep eat. Oh. Yeah, I'll yeah. sleepwalk and go eat. Go help myself to the fridge. I, uh. I also have a lot of dental work due up this year. Last year, I didn't go to the dentist at all. And I said, Ooh. I'm going to pay for this because... I started eating more, as most of us had, I started eating a lot more sweets. I like the mm-hmm. sweet stuff during a lockdown. Uh, and so this last checkup I went to, the dentist was like, oh boy. You know, and I could hear it when she was naming off, you know, they go through and start naming all the teeth and she's using oh, yeah. all this, this, um, she's using all this medical talk about my teeth. And then when she stopped, I said, man, doc, that sounds really ominous. <laughs> and she goes, yeah, let me break it down for you. But I'm, I'm probably going to have if I do it all, I'm probably going to have $2,000 worth of fixes in my mouth. This oh, year. fuck. Uh, luckily, yeah. I can't, oh my God. I can't even, let's see. Mine would have cost about $2,500 if I didn't have uh, insurance. Yeah. Yeah. I would have been fucked. Yep. I would have been fucked, fucked. Oh, sorry. Yep. I, I don't know if this is a G-rated. No, <laughs> it's a, I mean, no one listens, so we can pretty much we can take <laughs> Sounds like my on. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, believe me, it's all of us. If if you haven't figured out SEO, it doesn't matter how charming and entertaining you are. The internet doesn't give a fuck. But anyway, so you can say what you want. Um, so, all right. So you had a little bit of burnout, but the mic is still going hot. So let's go back a little further. Um, what was what was the start of doing stand-up comedy? What happened in your life that said, you know what? I think I need to get in front of some strangers, start telling some shit jokes for yucks. When did that happen? And then what was the thing that got you into it? I've, uh, I've got a few interesting things to say actually. Uh, and a few secrets. Um, nice. When I was about 19, I wanted to do comedy because of Dennis Leary. And I used to watch comedy central, like 24 hours a day. Like I would not sleep and I just watch it when it first came out. And like, I watched everything, everybody, anything I could get my hands on. And so I started to write and then I realized it was just angry rants. It was kind of Dennis Leary-ish. Yeah. And uh, it really wasn't funny. And so I kind of gave up on that because I was a, a musician. I was playing in bands and that was my number one thing to do. Uh, and then uh, I would say about 10 years ago, I started trying to write again. And then I uh, just realized I was garbage. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that when they first start out. You're you're garbage. Yeah. When you, uh, and so uh, I want to say five five, six years ago, I had one of those, uh, in your forties kind of thing, mm-hmm. like in New York, reinvent yourself. I'm like, I really want to do acting. I think it would be good for me. I think I would be good at it for some reason, even though I'm not a good liar. I don't know. So I went to the Barrow group and, uh, took an acting class and in between acting 101 and 201, uh, there was a big gap and I saw that there was an improv class. Mm-hmm. So I was like, terrified. I'm like, fuck it. I'll do it. I have the time. I have the money. Okay. Took first class. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Uh, took the second class. Absolutely loved it. Then both teachers from my acting and improv class highly recommended taking a theatrical clowning class with Gene Taylor. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so I did that, but while I was waiting to do that, I met someone at a job that I took. I went from bartending I couldn't stand bartending anymore. So I went back into the kitchen as a prep cook, which was brutal. And, uh, that's hard this, work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> At one of New York's finest restaurants too. And so, 
I met this gal named Bella and she was an intern at the pit and okay. uh people's improv theater. And she said, I want to quit my, I was like, Oh, you do improv too. She's like, yeah, actually I want to quit my internship. Uh, would you want to take it over? And so I did. Nice. And then most people only do intern for like six months. I did it for two and a half years. Nice. So I took every single class I, I, I must've taken like 18 classes. Uh, it's crazy. Um, but here's my little secret and I can't tell you everything. I, I, I'm going to wait till later in life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was bartending right after I started doing improv and I wrote a joke and I didn't tell anybody this is horrible. I mean, it was real. I thought it was really fucking funny. Yeah. And, uh, one day I'm working in this bar and this guy comes in and, and I'm cracking him up. Just yeah, killing yeah. him. Just killing. Yeah. I, I'm kind of funny behind the bar anyway. Yeah. And he goes, uh, wow, you're really funny. Uh, tell me your favorite joke that you've written. And I was like, oh man, this is really going to be raw. Yeah. And I told it to him. He's like, dude, that's one of the funniest jokes I've ever heard. I'm like, really? And he's like, actually, I work for this. I'm a, an assistant to this really famous comedian. Uh-huh. I was like, no way. I'm like his biggest fan. Uh, he's like, could you record that for me? And oh. I was like, yeah. So I told it to him again. And I said, hey, you can have this joke because I know you, you'll get in too much trouble. You'll never be able to do it. And I'm too, it's too early in my career. I could never do it. They ended up doing it and got in a shitload of trouble for it. And nice. So, and it was on Saturday night live too. So yeah. And I didn't know it. So you're not going to go to the grave with this comedian's name, right? Like you don't have to bust it out on this podcast. Don't waste. I'm just going to wait. But, uh, so, uh, I would say years, uh, must've been at least a year after I told the joke. Um, I found out, I watched the, I saw the person got in trouble. So I watched the clip and I was like, holy shit. They not only did my joke, but they did it like verbatim. Wow. Yeah. It was like, oh shit. And I was like, maybe I can do stand up if that happened. But I knew, I knew I couldn't pull that joke. off. I, I don't even think I could pull it off right now. I'm, I don't know if I have the legs, the strength to actually do it. I think I'd have to be a seasoned comedian and have people on my side because it's a pretty rough joke. But so I didn't. Now, tell when you anybody. say rough, you mean it's hitting on some taboo subject in yeah. a very vile way, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And so a uh, couple years later, I end up taking a stand-up class. You know what? I I'm off off camera. I bet I know the joke. You might. I bet I know the joke because I just, I don't watch a lot of the SNL monologues, but I do watch when people complain or when people, <laughs> yeah. when, when the, when the, um, the, who, what do we call those people on Twitter who, who try to knock someone down for being controversial, like the cancel mob or something, when they perk up is when I go pay attention. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, I, at, when we stop recording, I want to give you what I think it was, but keep cool. going with your story. I'll, 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 maybe I'll tell you afterwards. Uh, yeah. So here was my thing about not telling people. I'm like, for one, people are going to think I'm a liar. Two, it's not going to get me anywhere because I'm not hired by this person. It's not going to make me any money. It's not going to give me any street cred. It's like, oh, they did it. You gave them permission. That's their joke now. And I I, I guess a lot of people actually do that. Like we'll give 
jokes and uh, famous comedians will accept free jokes. It's less work for them to do. Yeah. Uh, and they don't have to hire anyone. So <laughs> full circle, I'm taking a comedy class with John Lisbon and Mike Malone. Okay. And uh, I fess up one day to them after we started producing Mike's shows. And John looked at me so fucking pissed off. Okay. He's like, I was in the audience at Saturday Night Live for that. Wow. I was like, what? And then he got a little cocky with me. He's like, well, you know, anybody could have written that joke. I mean, it's. Oh, he's like, it wasn't like personal to you. I was like, yo, dude, my joke made it to Saturday Night Live. Yeah. I mean, however you. But he was trying to say it wasn't like a personal. It was a not a hack joke, but like a. I don't know. Man. So anyway, we we did uh, uh not even knowing what we were doing. I we just uh landed a a a, a buddy of mine was working at a restaurant in Greenpoint and uh in Brooklyn and wanted to start an open mic night there. So we did. It didn't do well. It was like once a week on like a Monday. Um, we usually had like ten people show up and they would open up the entire restaurant just for us to. Oh just, right. So we got shut down from that, but then I started doing it at the Parkside Lounge where my, I'd been working for like 10 years. And then we started producing shows there. We didn't know what we were doing. And we yeah. had a few good shows and then attendance was weird. Oh, but then Upright Citizens Brigade closed and out of fucking nowhere, all of these producers just swarmed on the Parkside and they were bringing in big names like fucking Barry, uh, Friedlander, uh, David, uh, David Cross, uh, there was just so many, and we just got washed out. Like, okay. My buddy who was the owner was like, well, these people, you know, comedy central was there like on Fridays or like wow. when we were doing shows, like they would pack the place out. And it was like, then we'd have like 10 people. Yeah. So we stopped doing shows there, but then we started doing more at the pit and blah, 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 blah. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where a very long winded way of how I got started. Well, so you just brought up multiple points that we're going to have to circle back with because it's one of the areas that I wanted to touch on today that's been on the top of my mind and I haven't had a chance to really, I guess, talk it through with another comedian is um, joke stealing or joke writing for other comics. So it's very weird that you brought this up. Like the universe is aligning because this is exactly yeah. what I want to talk about tonight. But before we do that, you brought something up. You are a musician. Yeah. So did you know that Dave Chappelle, so I, I'm a, when I say I'm a failed musician, I mean, I am like, I, I am the worst at everything I try when it comes to music, but I've always loved music. Um, Dave Chappelle has said before that all musicians want to be stand-ups and all yep. stand-ups want to be musicians. <laughs> I have found that obviously there's always outliers, but I have found overwhelmingly that the, I guess the mu- the musician mindset and the stand-up comic mindset and personality, we overlap so much. Oh, totally. totally where totally. it's like, um, it's beyond coincidence at this point. I do think the musical mind and the comic mind are kind of the same thing. So talk to me about what your history is as a musician. What do you play? Uh, What's your pedigree there? Um, And then I guess to wrap it all up, do you think that being a musician has helped you with comedy? Oh, immensely. And I will go completely backwards from the last question that you just said. Uh, 
and uh, what uh ooh, there's so much in my head right now yeah. um when we were doing the mic at uh uh in greenpoint uh-huh. i was all about like uh jesselnik and uh tignataro so i was trying to be really deadpan okay. and i'm not a real deadpan person okay and uh it just wasn't feeling natural yeah so i consciously made a decision one day because I was afraid of the audience and I switched it. I just went punk rock. I switched, I turned that, I went metal and I engaged the audience. Oh, and, no. and I started to talk and I started to, and I started to, you know, I started to lean into my mic like, like a, like a lead singer. Yeah. Uh, so it became, you know, more of a performance than just me standing there trying to be deadpan. Yeah. Um, uh, used to play at CBGB's. I sang, played guitar, some band, uh, a band. We were like a house band. We play there on Saturday nights. And God love the place. It was a fucking shithole. Yeah, um, it was just. It had a specific smell. <laughs> I had never been. I had never been, and it's one of my kind of regrets because I had been to New York prior to it shutting down, and and I don't know why I didn't go. But um, well, prior to it shutting down, I quit going because it was such yeah. a cash grab. Oh. I was like, fuck you guys, dude. It was like such a marketing blitz yeah. to sell t-shirts. And like, you would see like people like rich women in the Upper East Side with their brand new CBGB's t-shirts. I never owned a CBGB t-shirt and no one I knew that played there wore a CBGB's t-shirt. I never saw other band people do that. But here's here's something that I did think about. And I, I want you to think about this too. I'm not a psychiatrist, but I was in many positions where it was possible that I could have gotten a record deal. But, and I've thought about this, am I a failure? No. You know why? Because, and I don't think you should consider yourself a failure because you're still alive. Uh, Most of my heroes, guitar-wise, singer-wise, dead. Randy Rhodes, uh, Jim Morrison, um, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, uh, just so many dead people. And- Kurt Cobain. Kurt Cobain, if- uh, What's his name from, uh, uh, not mud, honey shit. Um, I'll think of it in a second. Uh, Oh, Allison chains. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. That was a recent loss. The, yeah. Uh, can't think of his name. Anyway, and, and I met him. What the fuck? Lincoln park guy. He killed himself. Yeah. Fucking, uh, fucking, I couldn't believe when, um, Soundgarden fucking Cornell died. He was my hero, dude. Yeah. Hero. Uh, so anyway, I thinking back, if I would have gotten rich and famous or even gotten a one record deal yeah, and then dropped afterwards, I can't imagine what kind of a mess I would have been. Like if yeah. I would have gotten on drugs or taken heroin or just drank myself to death out of depression or who knows, maybe I would have been clean the whole time. I don't know, but yeah, thankfully we're, we're still here. A lot of people, yeah. that man, that lifestyle just destroys a lot of people. Yeah, I think uh, there's too many enablers I, I, in the past music industry, but I think I think we almost need to designate there's two eras of the music industry. I think there's the music industry up until streaming and then the music industry after yeah, streaming. Yeah. And I think the music industry after streaming is two things. One, I think if you are someone who loves music and wants to make money off music, at, uh, post-streaming era, I, I feel really bad for you. I feel really bad for you because I I really right now short of busking and just going on the street and opening your guitar case, 
I don't know how a person who's not getting tens of millions of streams will make any sustainable income on making music outside of busking. Um, Shit. David Lee Roth had his first album after Van Halen. He uh, co-produced it with uh, Nile Rodgers mm -hmm. and they put it out themselves and he made $150,000. He's like, this is more money than I ever made off an album in Van Halen. I was like, what? That's how fucked they got. That's how screwed. Uh, uh, but you're, you're right. You're totally right about the streaming thing. Cause I quit playing in bands after that. I was like, what am I, you know how much money it costs to rent rehearsal space in New York and then to take a night off from bartending to go play CBGBs? I would lose like $400 yeah. uh, just in paying for van rentals and rehearsals. And, uh, uh, but yeah, after that, after I quit playing bands, I started playing percussion. I learned uh, like Brazilian percussion, uh, African percussion, started playing bossa nova uh, on guitar, uh, went to Brazil a few times, which was game changer. Nice. So yeah, I started playing music for me. It was like, and then eventually I filled in with a friend's band, but it wasn't a paid thing. But yeah, yeah, I yeah, think it's rough. I think it's rough now. I think before there was incentive, and even you talked about being a house band. I hear that there were um, because you know back in the eighties and nineties, all there was was live entertainment. There was no concept of downloading or even CDs and records. Like that was a tease for going out. So even places that had a house band, that house band some people were making a living off being a house band that'll never happen. Or, well, as things are structured now, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I think, and this is probably a larger showbiz discussion that I'm not qualified to make, but I, I think live performing, I don't know how we're going to eke out livings or people are going to eke out livings post pandemic, but you know, when I say I'm a loser, like, like I really am a big loser, Sean, like, like in the sense that I, I have, if I play guitar too long, I get, um, tendonitis. I, I have tendonitis, arthritis, everything. So like even just pay, playing the musician hurts me or playing the instrument hurts me to where I can only play it for so long on any given day. And it's like, man, almost everything I've ever loved somehow hurts me back. <laughs> <laughs> oh damn. So, um, so that's what I mean by like a big loser. So I never even got close to that. I've been in, in bands and whatnot, and I try to play every day something, but uh it's just never gotten off. But I have been since I started performing stand-up comedy, it's been really kind of amazing to bump into so many people who are not just hobby musicians like me, but like good musicians. I've bumped into good drum. I know multiple good drummers uh, in the San Jose scene here. And it seems like almost every person I talk to is at least some level of an instrumentalist or a vocalist who's in stand-up comedy. So um, yeah, it's just, it's funny how that is. So, so you think that probably just the attitude, kind of the punk rock attitude loosened you up, by the way, if I can offer some feedback on what you said, um, you know what? I, I agree with you on the deadpan because sometimes I slip into it when I'm out there. And every time I slip into deadpan, I know why I did it. And I did it for exactly what you said is I'm going to try and be cool and snarky now, but I'm not cool and snarky. I'm dorky and animated. And so the second I try to slip into that, like I can stand there and just be, oh, this is whatever. Like I'm not dissing, I'm not dissing deadpan people. I love deadpan. No, but I when they're just like, Oh, no, no, no. And then you go that I, I try to do that. And when I do that, I realize in my head, sometimes I don't realize it until I listen to it after, but I go, Oh, you know what? You just got afraid to be goofy. That's what happened right there. And when I see you perform, there is this animated goofiness that I really appreciate. 
Um, along with your writing, you've said a number of just fucking bangers with one-liners on the Zoom mics I've been with you. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's awesome when you're performing and you have that realization like, oh, what I'm doing, I'm emulating something that although I appreciate and I like, it's not me. Yeah. And when I think about any comics that inspired me, I always like the guys who are moving a lot and being goofy. We can't really do that on zoom. We were a little boxed in, but, um, if this I, is if, a great performance space though, I, I mean, yeah. I, I get a lot out of this room and how you move around. And I, I used to have my, uh, green screen back further. So I had even more space, but it messed with the camera, but right. Right. Um, yeah. I guess it's no excuse. Use what you got. So, uh, speaking of inspirations, talk to me about some of your, uh, comedy inspirations. Actually, you know what? I'll make this easy. I'll make this conversation really easy. I was on your mic a few weeks ago and you had talked about, you were watching some of the older comics and some of the language that they used back in the day. So we're, I think we're both of an era that we probably enjoyed a lot of comedy from let's say late seventies through eighties. Who are some guys in the eighties that were really amazed you and you liked? Well, right now, every day, except today, Five days a week, um, I watch. There's a channel out of New Jersey, and uh, they do a lot of like '80s stuff and '70s okay. sitcoms. They show Johnny Carson every single night, and I yeah. watch him every single night. Yeah, even though it's still on like uh, Amazon, you can still go. I think and catch most of them. But uh, I watch his monologue, and uh, I, I, I someone asked me who my favorite comedian was a, a few months ago. And I think I have to say it's Johnny Carson. Yeah. He's a, he's a fucking monster. You yeah. don't realize it when you're growing up because you're young and you don't yeah. catch a lot of stuff, but oh my God, his, he was, he was like a, a third degree black belt, you yeah. know, like it, it's just, a. anytime I think that uh, I've got him nailed, yeah. he pulls out something else and has like a, he has, he knows how to wiggle his way around so many things. Like it's yeah. just, it blows my mind. Ruben Wolf makes fun of me. He's like, yeah, I'm going to bust your balls one day for how you spend all your time watching Johnny Carson. I'm like, all right, who are you studying? Yeah. Are you studying it? You know? Yeah. Um, Red Fox. I love Red oh, Fox. Yes. He's fucking brutal. Yeah. There's no way you could say that shit today. No way. Maybe no. in like some red States and like a, like a peanut shelled back room of like a sure. barn or something, you know, it was like, yeah, yeah. people don't realize the red Fox was like on fire. Like he influenced a lot of people. Uh, Richard Pryor. I always go back and watch him. I was watching uh, Eddie Murphy uh, the other day, which was weird because I've seen raw many times and I saw it in the theater when it came out, we snuck in underage. Yeah. And man, that, that's a great special, but man, it dips hard in the middle. I was like, oh man, I was like falling asleep. It's like, holy cow. I mean, everything's got their dip uh, somewhere. Uh, yeah, those, those are Johnny Carson. People don't realize not only was he a fantastic stand up comic, but people don't realize how much he did for stand up comedy yeah. in general. Because for everybody, the genre was kind of. You know, I'm no historian, but it was definitely a counterculture thing up and until all these talk shows started bringing people in. But then the guy who really made it a point of not just showcasing the act, 
but getting the person on afterwards and then really honoring the person. You know, yeah. a lot of talk shows and this is, I mean, in the day and age we live on, live in now, this is like the only, the only, uh, what do I want to call it? Recipe is to exploit your guests, right? Like that's what I feel. It's kind of a exploit, exploitation, yeah. but like when he would get people on, man, he was really honoring the guests and he let, Oh, you know what? I, I take that back. I think Conan O'Brien, he, he does honor his guests and he yeah. lets guests get away or not get away, but lets them be themselves and will riff with what they are not trying to pigeonhole them into something that they aren't. But Johnny Carson, that's another thing. I, I got to start watching more of him too, because what I do remember of both watching him and now going back as, you know, an older guy and just kind of re-experiencing it when I do, when I do get a chance to watch more of it, is he really would just be uh, an accessory in the ensemble. He didn't try and be front and center when he was talking with the comic. Like the comic was there. The comic knows how to get laughs and he would just toss things up as needed. And it was always an alley-oop. Yeah. You know, it was always something, you know, those, this is what another thing I wanted to talk with you about. Like if you watch him, there's a couple of him and Rodney Dangerfield that. Yeah. Yeah. My God. I mean, that talk about a clinic on how to not just only be a stand-up comic on panel being interviewed with what Rodney Dangerfield, but how to be the guy talking to a comic. He knew how to do it. And I don't know that anyone has done it as well ever since. Now, in fairness, what I do have to say is I really haven't been into a late night host for probably 20 years. Oh yeah. <laughs> me than, neither. Uh -huh. Other than Conan, Conan O'Brien, which I think he does well with both actors and actresses but also with comedians. Am I allowed to say actress or is that, we don't say that anymore. I don't know. I'm constantly the, learning. The A word. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The A word. Actor and people who are in movies. Like he does well. I think you them. call them flight attendants. <laughs> <laughs> They're like go. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, he, he does well with both, but I, I still, I haven't really followed him um, the same way I, I followed the, you know, Johnny Carson. Johnny Carson or some of the other guys. So, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. That guy, man, you could learn so much from watching that guy. Every time I watch, I'm just like, well, plus being a host of a, an open mic and doing shows, hmm. like learning how to be a gracious host, learning how to support, paying attention so that yeah. I can tag onto, because uh, I try, am I, I know you probably noticed in the open mics, I always yeah. try to find something yeah. in somebody's act to tag upon yeah. and support them. Uh, I try not to drag them down unless they're Elazar Friedman. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sam Elazar Friedman. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's been like simple, simple, simple stuff I've learned from him. Like pause, give a dramatic pause before you introduce somebody or say, would you please welcome or would you welcome please? Yeah. And it makes so, like, you can feel that tension just about snap. And it's yeah. so simple. Like, because he'd done it for like yeah. 30, 40 years. Uh, oh, the black. Oh God. I just had chills up my spine. Have you seen any of the black and white Carson stuff from back in the day? I, yeah, I probably have. I wouldn't remember with, with the guy throwing the axes. It's one of the most yeah, funniest yeah, yeah. things. I remember ever. that. Yeah. Um, back in the day, I think it was CBS that he was on. Okay. Um, the, the standard for that day 
they took all the taped shows and recorded over them because they didn't want to buy new tape. Wow. They didn't want to buy a $150 tape. So they just lost years of Carson in the early days. I would kill to watch that stuff. Oh my God. Like Monty Python had to sneak into the studio for flying circus. And I think they stole the tapes or they bought them or something. Otherwise all of the flying circus stuff would have been erased. Wow. Yeah. The BBC would have just recorded over it. That That is a shame. That is a shame because I think, you know, as if you're a fan of comedy, you kind of want to know the history and the backstory of it. So the fact that they lost years for $150, but that's, you know, again, times have changed back then. That was a huge production cost. Speaking oh, yeah. of low production podcasting. <clears throat> um, so that's, that's really cool. Yeah. I I'm definitely down with that. So, I, I wanted to get your opinion on something. Um, I don't know if you, how much you followed the drama years ago about Carlos Mencia stealing jokes. Oh yeah. I heard a lot about this. I didn't follow it though, but I saw examples of it. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't really follow it too much. Um, but I found it interesting. So the other day I came across a clip of him on Bobby Lee's podcast and I'm a pretty big fan. Well, I was a big fan of Bobby Lee. Um, but then I started hearing some things and I was kind of like, Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know if I can get behind this guy, but anyway, I wanted to get his take. So he had Carlos Mencia on it. And on his podcast, and they were going into all these allegations. And I had never heard Carlos Mencia's side of the story until he was on this podcast. All you ever see is that short clip of Joe Rogan and him fighting on stage, (laughs) which I find kind of interesting because one thing that Carlos brought up, which is, I think is 100% true, is both the editing and the way that all of that was distributed was 100% a hit job by Joe Rogan and and his crew. And it's really the first evidence that I'm aware of in comedy where cancel culture, a cancel mob is set upon someone. And it was one comedian setting his cronies against another comedian. And now Joe Rogan is very outspoken anti-cancel culture. And I'm like, wait a minute, dude, you canceled Vencia back in mid 2000s before there was even cancel culture. And he is in the same trade as you. Anyway, I'm sure there was some, some um, unreputable stuff done, but I, I'm happy that he did his side of the story. So basically where I'm trying to go with this is comedy is really hard. <laughs> yeah. And I wanted to get your opinion. Have you ever had a joke stolen have you ever had another comic come up to you and say, Ooh, I'm doing something very similar. Or have you ever had a premise that you really loved doing, but then you saw it was getting kind of played out by other comics. So ha- have you ever had that experience? And then how have you dealt with it? Um, all of those. Um, and the reverse. Uh, so I, I riff a lot mm-hmm. and, uh, if I riff on something and I'm working on a piece, then I consider it mine. Right. But there's also like throwaway stuff. Right. Um, and uh, I had a joke a while back about, it is a terrible, okay, I will write a terrible joke yeah. just to do it, knowing full well I won't keep it 
but I will do it just because I've never done it before. If it comes in my head, I'm like, okay, that's really bad and stupid, but I'm going to tell it anyway, and then I'll get rid of it. So it's kind of like, uh, oh, I don't even know how you would explain that. Like, uh, what what other profession would you do nope. that? At? Uh, like a musician. Like, a, yeah. like, oh, well, I'll learn this uh, poison song. Yeah, I'm never going to play it, but just to learn it, you know, so I have that chop. Yeah. Um, so the, the 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 joke was stupid. It was about me being a white guy and uh, I make sure that I eat many different kinds of rice because I don't want to be considered a white, white rice supremacist. So then I heard someone else do it similar, but they were Asian. And uh, I was like, I called them out on it, but I didn't care. It was like, yeah. it was more their joke after that. Cause I wasn't using it. But then I heard the exact same joke and tag stolen from them by another person. <laughs> I, I saw, I literally saw that joke on Facebook. I'll share it with you when we stop recording. So, okay. I saw it again. If it's that hack, it's no one owns it. No one. It's if it's that bad of a joke, it belongs in like a book at like Barnes and Noble. Sure. You yeah. know, like, um, but I do also think that there is a collective consciousness and I have touched upon uh, writing jokes. And once again, I think if it's a little more hacked, then it's going to be out in the public domain more yeah. where I've, I've had topics and things very similar to other comedians. And I just stopped doing it because I was like, um, do, 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 do. Oh, I hear so many jokes at the mics. Yeah. And with that collective consciousness, Oh, I've got a big thing to say about this too. Okay. Um, I got a weighted blanket and, uh, I didn't, I forgot that someone else had written a joke about a weighted blanket and I told it. And as soon as it came out of my mouth, I was like, shit, I think this other comedian did that. Yeah. And so I stopped, I just, yeah. that's gone. That's, and then if yeah. anybody would ever call me out for that, I would immediately apologize. Yeah. Um, for sure. I'd be like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize I, cause there is a thing that Amy Schumer talks about how, or somebody or other comedians think that they wrote it, but they actually heard it. And maybe years later it comes out. Uh, I, I do believe in that. Yeah. Um, but Amy Schumer's also been cons that man. If you watch the connections between her jokes and other people, it's bad. It's really bad. bad. It's really, and I love her, but um, this is all leading into um, in the eighties. Everybody was stealing from everybody else. Yeah. But they were all telling the jokes differently. But I've seen, I've seen a bunch of different jokes told many different ways by many different comedians. But then, then I start to think that because of the culture mm -hmm. and the timing and the subject matter that like maybe Kennison and Dice were touching on the same issues. So you'd go see Kennison do a joke that was very similar to Dice or Seinfeld was very similar to maybe something that I, I'm just yeah. using an example, Cosby or something. But uh, so I think in those if you're on a road comic and you see somebody else hitting with a certain subject, you're probably going to write about that subject because it's, in, it's like, it's like pop music. Whenever Lady Gaga was big, how yeah. many other pop groups started sounding like Lady Gaga or green day or so. I, so you touched on collective consciousness. So the second time I ever did stand up comedy, um, as you do when you're, you know, first, 
dozen times. You're just a big dork and you're excited about everything. Mm-hmm. Right. Like the like the joke you you wrote. Every everything you write down in your head is just fantastic and original. And you say there's no way anyone <laughs> can come up, can connect these dots. And so I, the second time I went up, I had my whatever, my five minutes written down. And being the new guy, I was going up last, right? So I was going up probably like 1 a.m. or whatever. <sighs> and I was watching comic after comic go up and hit the premises that I had on my little sheet. <laughs> and I was like crossing it out. And I go, okay, well, now I need to think of something new. Let me try this. And then another comic would go out and I would cross out another premise. And I shit you <laughs> not, man, that second time I did comedy, I think every premise that I had was touched on to the point where I just said, I have to do, I have to do my five minutes, whatever it is. And I went up and I just did it all. And so that was a real wake up call for me that being original. So comedy has two uh, hurdles. The first hurdle is very easy. Everyone understands getting strangers to laugh. Isn't as easy as we all think it is. So that's hurdle number one. Okay. But the job doesn't end there because now Okay, you know how to make people laugh? Well, guess what? Now you got to be original because there's 10,000 other motherfuckers out there who know how to make people laugh. How do you differentiate yourself from those guys? And so then you talk about originality. And so I've I've been in the situation where I've had someone um so premise overlap when we talk about collected consciousness, this happens all the time with me, all the time to the point where sometimes I'm like you, I walk away from the premise. Other times I try to battle it out and say, how can I make this more unique and more original than the comic that I just saw do the hit on this premise? And I, I hope I'm always doing right by everyone. But then I've also had a situation where... Um, you know, I've had comics, it's like almost word for word, tell a joke that I, I was doing. And I kind of, I kind of knew that they, um, they'd seen me doing it. And then I don't know if it jumped in their head, but they were all, they were my friends. They're like, <laughs> guys, I'm really close with them. So we talked about it. And basically my, my thing was, um, my thing was, uh, we're, we're open micers and I, I don't care guys. Like we should never do the same joke at the same time, but you guys can use it. And I kind of had that, that, that vaudeville mindset you were talking about in the eighties, guys were doing each other's acts. And if you go back to vaudeville, a good example of this is who's on first. That was not Abbott and Costello. Who's on first was a running bit that vaudeville had for at least 50 years before it was on television. It's so weird that you just, mention that because yeah. I just had a conversation like yesterday where we weren't seeing eye to eye and I just mentioned who's on first. What's on, <laughs> that's so weird. Yeah. The universe thought man, about that. Like, yeah. Another thing I learned about these podcasts is it's weird. Like collective consciousness. We kind of, sometimes I jump on these podcasts and then we just, what we want to talk about, like right from the beginning, you were, you were talking about, you know, the, the joke thing. I go, Oh, we're, I had planned on talking about this. So yeah, that was a bit that probably at least two dozen, um, comedy pairs had done in vaudeville, but Abbott and Costello blew up and it kind of made their career. And in the eighties, I think there was a lot of joke sharing going on. And so I guess what I'm trying to get at is this early in my comedy quote unquote career, it's kind of like, let's have a conversation about it, but let's not kill each other about it. And so the reason I brought it up is I saw that thing with Carlos Mencia and ultimately the side that he was 
sane. I, I, I get where he's coming from. He was like, I will apologize for any joke that someone accuses me of stealing, but have my, have, but what was done since then with me, like it's costed me millions of dollars. And he goes, and I would have been hooking up comedians the whole time. Like, I don't care, but I will apologize to people, but people have to tell me the specific joke. And basically what I walked away from that conversation and I was kind of thinking like, man, you know, comedy, again, it's such a hard thing that there's only a slim margin of people who do comedy who are going to break through to the mainstream. There's only a slim people who are going to actually be really good at it and be able to make good money at it and to like cut each other down the way he was cut down for stealing a joke and not really giving any road to redemption. It seemed, it seemed harsh to me, especially after having done it for a few years now where I just go, you know what? It's so easy to accidentally step on someone. And I hope I, I'm hoping if that ever does happen with me, that the person will just approach me and go, Hey, can you not do that anymore? <laughs> Rather than like scheme and try and take me out or something along those lines. Yeah. I think the old creed was first to tell on stage. Yeah. You're, that's your copyright. Yeah. But I think you'd have to have recorded it or dated it or something. But, uh, yeah, I was a dude doing our open mic one time and, uh, I couldn't remember at the time, but I, I, I was totally into Kyle Kinane at the time. And this guy did a whole Kyle Kinane bit, mm. but I couldn't think of the Kyle's name. And I was going to shout it out at the comedian on stage. And I said to Mike Malone, I said, do you think I should say something to him? And he's like, nah, just let it slide. Yeah. And I never saw him again. Yeah. It's like, yeah. And I hear people like trying to do Jesselnik stuff. I'm like, are you crazy? Yeah. How could you do that? Like, it's like playing an ACDC song, claiming it to be your own. Like you fucking idiot. Yeah. Um, I have seen that. I have seen it open mics where it's, it's like uh, they gave themselves a personal challenge or something, but then they they'll go up and they'll do a Seinfeld act. And <laughs> so you go, or uh, uh, who's the other guy I've seen his whole act done word for word. Um, he's a clean comic. God, I was just thinking of Mark, him today. Mark Norman. Uh, no, not Mark Norman. Uh, He's been doing it since like the seventies. God damn it. Why am I not? Oh, oh my uh, Raymond. Who's Raymond. Uh, Although I love him. Jesus Christ. Why? Okay. You know what? I'll keep the conversation, but it'll anyway. come back. Just put it in the parking lot. It'll come back around. Yeah. It'll come back. We'll put it in the parking lot. Um, I seen someone do a word for word one and I'm kind of like, if people, other comics, same thing, they would start a discussion. Like, should we tell them like, that's not kosher. And I think, it's always comes to the conclusion. If we see him another time. Yeah. 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 I'm doing it again. We'll say that's not kind of how I know music works that way, but comedy works a little bit different. So even if you like the premise, try and make it your own, but we never see him again. And so I think these are people who just want to feel what it's like to do an open mic and they memorize their favorite Regan, Regan, Brian Regan. Oh no. <laughs> Brian Regan. Oh. And here's what's crazy, Sean. Now, oh, he did a Brian, no. he did the walkie talkie bit. He did the Brian Regan walkie talkie bit. And then, but he, here's where I gave the kid credit. Like he literally was a teenager. Cause it was one of these cafe mics where like, you know, people are just drinking like kids, high school kids are just trying to be cool and hang out at a coffee shop. So it was technically kind of a supposed to be clean. Don't get too crazy here, but he did it. But what was hilarious is he was really good with the act outs. Brian Regan. He's one of these silly guys who moves around a lot. And I say like, 
20% of his funny is in his writing and 80% is in his movement. Cause he just sells a joke. Like the writing, if you just read it word for word, you'd be like, this is stupid. This isn't funny. But then he acts it out. And this kid did a really good act out, but it was like dead on Brian Regan. And we were all kind of looking at each other like, he knows that's Brian Regan, right? <laughs> we all know this is Brian Regan. Um, I would view. Okay. First of all. So, <laughs> uh, do you have a food that you absolutely can't eat? Mine's sweet uh, yams with, uh, marshmallows in a can. I can't eat it no matter how I, I won't eat chicken feet. Okay. I've eaten chicken feet. I could totally understand that. Yeah. Uh, I totally think if I hung out with Brian Regan, I'd have a blast with him. I think we would have so much fun. I do not like his stand-up comedy. <laughs> I don't. Polarizing. I, I tried so hard. Yeah. Uh, there's other comedians who I respect. Oh, no, don't get me wrong. I respect the fuck out of him. Yeah. Uh, he does something I can't do. There's other comedians out that are popular right now. I can't stand listening to him just because of their tone of voice. It's yeah. not even what they say. It's just, I, I can't. So yeah. Oh, a sandwich. Oh. Yum, yum. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 yeah, the, that weird that weird hairpiece line that he has that's all red on the side of his yeah. As you go back, I, I saw I was watching a uh, what was it called something an evening at the Improv from okay. like early '80s, and he was on there. Yeah, and he had a hairline that was all up here. I was like, I knew it. Yeah, I knew it. He's got a rug. Yeah. Um, he did, he had one piece of advice that I think was really good. Um, that for me, I have, I struggle with, and I see, I see it happen, especially in zoom open mics. Cause I think we we're still all learning zoom open mics, but mm -hmm. I think there's a compression feeling in a zoom open mic where oh, you totally. feel like you need to do more for less laughter. I don't know if you feel that or if I'm making sense, but Oh, go ahead. You can say something. Go ahead. I'll, I'll, I'll hang on to it. Oh, but one thing he said, and I, I heard this before I was doing Zoom comedy, but I tried to use it on stage as he said, don't chase the audience. Sometimes you have to go slow and let them come to you. Yeah. Because yeah, a lot of yeah. guys will go up there and they're yeah. like, you're just machine gunning with words, hoping something will happen. And I'm one of these guys. I do it. Um, but he said, yeah, just, just go slow and let them come to you because if you chase them, they're never going to come around. Yep. That's true. And, uh, Chris, Rock, I mean, I've read so many different ways of people saying the same thing. Chris Rock was like, if you feel your start, self start speeding up, you slow down. Mm -hmm. It's complete opposite. Yeah. Of, uh, what you said, what was I just going to say? I don't know. What, what did I have in the parking lot? Damn it. We had a couple things in the parking lot, but this is why the podcast is named. Am I making sense? Cause most of the time I'm not making sense and it's perfectly okay if the guest forgets a thing here and there. Um, I, I had another question for you. Okay. So who are some guys right now? So we kind of went over influences from the eighties. Who are some guys right now that you really like? Oh, hang on to that. Uh, this is a technical issue and I think you'll appreciate it. You said that like zoom is really compressed. They need to come up with a new platform because the original zoom that I was on without the updates when it first started was way better. Uh, now, it compresses everybody's background noise. You can't even hear people clap when they're clapping. Yeah. You have to tell them to adjust your settings to allow background noise. 
So like, oh, interesting. You know what? Something's been fucking up my soundboard. Yep, yep, <laughs> yep, yep. You know, sometimes. <laughs> did you hear any of that? Yeah, I heard it. The sad trombone. So sometimes that's cutting in and out, and my soundboard is like ninety-five percent of my act. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, it's a the joke. It's an issue. They need to make a new platform for uh, comedians. Uh, the, Zoom is good right now, but I know they're going to come out with something better. Yeah. So moving on to modern uh, comedians, what yeah, was the question? Egg, you mentioned a uh, uh, couple other, but who are some people right now that you like? Adam Mueller. Oh, is yeah, yeah. A- Adam Mueller. I like that guy. Uh, he's at our mic almost every single day, sometimes twice a day. Uh, oh, he's I- just a Mr. Charming, isn't he? <laughs> so him. sexy, so witty. My goodness, Adam. Yeah, Mueller. he's a monster joke writer. That dude, like, I will laugh at the same jokes because he's working on them all the time. Like, yeah. But he's constantly coming up with the material. And yeah. we even had a discussion a couple of days ago how he's like, I mean, I think it's great that I have a lot of all this material, but it's got to be at some point be like, okay, that's great. I need to slow down because I've kind of gotten in the same way. Like I have so much material now, but I need to turn that material into good material. (laughs) Like I'm churning out like so much. Uh, Jacob Williams, who comes to our mic, uh, who I've done improv with. I went to see his special. I can't, I I think his special is one of the best that came out last year. He's a monster. When I saw him live, I couldn't believe it. Like it, uh, my jaw was just dropped. He's uh, so good. Um, I'm Mark check. Normand, I re- like said respect. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I like. I'm a big fan of Mark Norman. He he did the podcast. I got him on this podcast uh, nice. about a year ago. He's another one I have a bit. His tone is it's kind of nasal. Like yeah. what am I gonna do? It's kind of got this nasally like I can't even do a good impression of Mark Norman. But his tone like. I actually saw yeah, him twice moments. at the stand and uh-huh. didn't know who he was. Uh-huh. And I enjoyed him, but I think I enjoy him more live than on tape. Well, oh, yeah, we could talk about this for days. So I feel stand-up comedy is the in-person medium. I, I never judge a person from what they do on television. Never. Or their their recorded act or anything. I I I want to know how I feel in a room with the comic and if they're really that that's how I judge a stand-up comic is how did I feel in a room, which is all changing um with Zoom, which is another thing I wanted to get into with you. Um so has so I I'm with both you and Adam in the sense that I've been good. I've I've been a good comic. I've been writing stuff every day and I'm trying it out in Zoom mics, but I'm not working on an act at all. So what I'll say is. I probably had about a four minutes that I felt confident with prior to the pandemic. And I was feeling really good, even though I'm still a noob, I was only in not even two years at the start of this pandemic, but, um, I was feeling good with it. And then once we started doing zoom comedy, I really, I threw it all out. Cause I just, I go, what, what am I doing? What am I doing on zoom? Mike? I, I don't know. And so I try writing new stuff, but I'm not working on an act at all. I'm just throwing out whatever silly stuff pops into my head. Good, good, good. So, do the same shit. Yeah. What do you, what is the adjustment going to look like when we go back to quote unquote real world? Do you think what we've done all this work over the last 10 months, is it going to translate on stage? Do you think we're going to have to really make adjustments 
Um, what is your opinion? I totally, uh, I totally think it's going to transfer over. And I forgot to add Usama Siddiqui onto the the people I really love. Oh, okay. I I fucking love him so much. And Pranav, his uh, roommate. Uh, it's totally going to transfer over. And here's my thing. Uh, I think a lot of the people that haven't been doing Zoom are just going to get crushed when they go back to the the but by the other comedians who have been diligent and working hard and writing jokes yeah. and showing up to Zoom mics every day and just fucking grinding it out even when bomb. Not, you know, you don't really bomb it at open mic, no, but like doing shows and like because the professional comedians do this too. Yeah. I've seen Judah Friedlander destroy on here. I've seen Todd Berry destroy. I've seen. Uh, uh, Lady Dynamite. Uh, God, she's one of my favorite comedians. Uh, fuck me. Why? Are, I've, I've got so much going on in my head. It's it's my fault. Something's in the air. Uh, no, no, no. I've been I've been just busy uh, trying to seek therapy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to get into that, but Maria Bamford. Maria Bamford. I saw oh, her. I do. love Bamford. Holy shit! We have that in common. Dude, Maria she, I would Bamford marry her. is so I would. zany. I can't, oh, she's one of the ones I've never seen her live, but I'll, I'll go out and just say she is an amazing performer, even though I've never seen her live. Cause every time I see her on television, every time I see her in an interview, I've never seen her on zoom, but she always does and says the right things and make me giggle. She's, I, I just, I love everything about Maria Bamford. It was just her. I don't even think she had a microphone. I think she just sat in front of her computer and destroyed for like an hour and a half. And then like a couple months later, I didn't watch it yet, but she came out with another, no, she came out with another special. Yeah. No, she came out with the special last year. And then in six months after the, uh, pandemic, she already had a whole another hour and a half. I was like, I you gotta be fucking kidding me. No, I, I think she truly is a comedy monster. I think. Yeah. She but I mean, even, uh, like, so uh, what I'm saying is like Adam Mueller's there every day. Like you're at Mike's all the time. It's like, we're doing the work. We just don't have to travel as far yeah. and uh, we're putting in the reps yeah. and uh, we're going to have a bigger pool of material to pull yes. from to build an act once. It, so let's say, let's say they tell us that September, the comedy clubs are going to open up. Yeah. I would say probably in uh, July. Yeah. I would probably start building a 10 minute act. Yeah. Out of all the stuff. And I would just do that over and over and over and over and drive every single comedian crazy. Yeah. Okay. That sees me and just be like, well, this is the, this is it. Cause it, and then come out fucking swinging it live shit. I, I think I'm being, I'm optimistic. I, cause here's what I've been telling all my friends who aren't doing zoom. And I've, I've actually, I've repeated this on the podcast so many times that if there, if there is someone who listens to the podcast, I apologize, but I'm going to say it one more time. Uh, I look at Zoom comedy when it comes to like physical fitness, right? Let's say you want to get fit and you pick running and, and you go, okay, I want to go to the trails. I'm going to run the trails every day. I'm going to run the park every day. And you go and you go and you run and run and you're getting fit. Well, guess what? It rains or it snows or it gets an ice storm. You can't go outside and run. It's not safe. There's a treadmill go run on the treadmill. So zoom comedy to me is the treadmill. And if nothing else, it's forcing me every day to say when something happens to me, or when I hear something, I, I always say, how is this funny? 
I don't think I would do that if I wasn't on the hook to do a Zoom mic every day. I think I would just kind of go about my life and probably forget about comedy writing, whatever that is, whatever my process is with writing. I would forget about it, but that's not happening because with Zoom mics, I'm saying, okay, what? I just had this experience. How do I make this funny? And then I take it to a Zoom mic and I just, I kind of play around with it. I try to, I actually, I'm treating the Zoom almost kind of like a podcast where I don't mind even just interacting or riffing with people. That's one thing. What is your opinion on riffing on people's stuff on a Zoom mic? Do you think I'm overstepping bounds when I try and, you think that's kosher? No, I try to incorporate riffing and tagging and uh, crowd work in every single set that I do. And when I don't, that's when I feel like I failed. Like I didn't connect with yeah. the audience. Like, and that's like a number one rule in my clowning is like, you can't forget the audience. And yeah. a lot of, a lot of comedians forget that they're in front of an audience and they'll yeah. just get in their head, they'll put their head down. They won't engage. Um, but no, it's totally like a sport. I used to do powerlifting cause I'm an idiot. <laughs> Fucking idiot. So Not professionally. Oh, I've got a fucked up knee really bad. I gotta yeah. go get therapy. Yeah. Um, but it's like going to the gym. Like you would see other people do watch their technique mm-hmm. or like a baseball player, watch, you know, somebody's curveball or something and learn, you know, different techniques. And, um, I mean, I learned so much from people who just started doing comedy. Yeah. I will watch somebody who I obviously know has only been doing it a few months and only on zoom. And I will just, I'll be mesmerized. Right. Um, there's so much to learn from every single person. I agree. Uh, if you just pay attention, like it's agree just with that. volumes. If nothing else, you can learn what not to do, right? Hey, I wanted to bounce this off you because I'm trying to turn this into a premise, but I have, there's a comic here, Pete Munoz, who he kind of has this premise on lock. I think I know but him. He probably, he's on, um, he does zoom mics too. He's on the, uh, we're all oh, on no, the- I know Chris Munoz. I used to work with Chris Munoz at the oh, Bowery Hotel. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Probably different guy, but, um, no, but I know, I know Pete Munoz. Yeah. 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 So, um, but I, I take a little bit of pleasure. Well, okay. So he taught me this philosophy. He kind of mentored me. He's been doing it like 10, I think anywhere from 10 to 13 years, I forget. But he, he told me, he said, at an open mic, there is no bombing. And there is no killing. You're just there to do your work. Take your reps. If you, no one laughs, no one laughs. Who cares? It doesn't mean you failed. Just get off the stage and think about whatever you got to do. But anyway, he has this thing about he enjoys watching people suffer on stage. Oh, yeah. And I do. I love too. it. I fucking love I, it. I love it. I love it. And I, I, I love watching people slowly lose confidence. Like it's one thing to get up there and not be confident and then not be confident through the whole thing. I go, okay, that's fine. But I love, love, love watching someone go up with a lot of confidence and then watch with every joke that comfort that it's like a notch filter, just like tick, 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 tick. Chick, chick, and the confidence go down, down to where, where the, finally they just close it. Like, um, well, all right, that's all I got. Yeah. <laughs> like that, like, oh my God. That brings me so much pleasure. Maybe I'm a sick fuck. I don't know, but here's where I'm going with all this, Sean. There is going to be a whole class of virtual zoom comics who only have done zoom, who are going to yeah. flood them open mics with us <laughs> and it's not going to work for them. Even if, no. it, even if it had been working on Zoom, like 
it's just the audience is going to be ignoring him. They're going to get heckled in a real heckle. Like, here's one thing I have hardly, I, I know I watch, speaking of Mueller, I watch his um, YouTube channel and he, he's gotten some good, decent heckles on zoom. I haven't oh, yeah. yet to get heckled on a zoom, but in real life, it's like twice a week I get heckled because I'm doing it in fucking dive bars and whatnot. And so there's going to be zoom comics going in and then people are going to be shit talking them. They're going to be trying to finish in their punchlines and they're not going to know what to do. And these are the people and this, I, I don't know, maybe I'm being mean right now. I want to see these people. And then more, more <laughs> than that, I want to know if they stick with it after they feel the sting for six months to one year. Of, uh, I bet 90% of them don't. I think you're right. Th so that's what I think is going to happen. I think there's a class of us who went into zoom because we love standup and we're like, what the fuck do we do? And so we got into zoom and now we're just doing it. And this is standup for us. But then there's a lot of people who are just like, man, I'm sheltering in place. I always wanted to try stand-up comedy and they do it and they come into these kind of accommodating zoom rooms where everyone's polite and everyone uh, follows the rules. And even, even if they can't gauge the laugh or whatever, they're like, Oh, this is a fun outlet. And then they're going to go into the real world and just be like, <laughs> <laughs> yes, fresh meat. And I think, I think that type of comic probably I don't want to be, again, I don't want to be mean. I hope they stick around, but I'm willing to bet it's going to feel weird for them when they only know Zoom. Well, I've seen it the other way around too. I've seen comedians that I knew from the, uh, the, the open mic circuit and show circuit in New York. Um, they, as soon as pandemic hit, they were doing Zoom, 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 Zoom. Then all the, I'm just going to call them idiots, yep. went out and uh, did live shows in basements and in, yeah. uh, you know, rooftops and all that. I mean, some were safe, some were horrifically not. And a lot of people got sick. Uh, but then they came back to zoom and you could see the look in their eyes Interesting. and their timing wasn't adjusted and they just did horribly for like a week or so. But then I saw they learned how to adjust their timing. Yeah. So I think that we're as zoom people now who've been in the real world, we'll be able to adjust our timing a little easier because I hope so. The laughs will be more quick. Yeah. We'll have to, we'll actually have to slow down more, I think, because we'll have to allow for more laughter. Yep. Because you don't get like the big, like every once in a while I get people on a roll and I can get like, you know, a lot of laughter, but yeah, here it's like, ha ha <laughs> 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 You know, it's like, yeah, and I'm not afraid of silence. I love, I love fucking around with silence. Yeah, me too. It's one of my, oh, uh, love it. And uh, I think uh, you can see silence people... is so potent, and there's so much. I always look at it from, uh, you know, I try to be this fake intellect. I always look at it as potential energy. Mm -hmm. if you can make an audience really quiet, then then they're in, they're listening. If you can make them uncomfortable, where they're kind of like itching in their pants, like that is a good thing, man. Now you got to get yourself out of it. But yeah. saying, you have, it's like, it's like, I want to, I want to start mining for gold and I have all this TNT. Like if you make, if you make the crowd silent, that's like, you're getting more TNT to dig an even bigger hole. But uh, you know, you got to light the fuse at some point and that fuse is actually getting people to laugh. <laughs> yeah. I learned that early on. Uh, I would do long extended silences and I wasn't writing well at that time. And so it would just, 
yeah, late sometimes is like, oh shit, I just fucked that all up because I wanted to do more silence. But the way I look at it is like pulling a an arrow back. Sure, there you go. And it's just you're like waiting to fucking yeah. Duh! But you have to know that right time. Yeah, as uh, I think Seinfeld said. What we're doing is our job as comedians is we're on a motorcycle and there's a moving train with an open door and we have to jump through it. Uh, <laughs> and it's so true. Like when you just miss that fucking God, you, you could smell it. You're like, fuck, if I would have done that a fraction of a second sooner or a fraction of a second later, it's like, Ugh. yeah, man, I hear you. Hey, Sean, uh, we hit an hour. I typically keep these things around an hour, but there's so many other things. Can we do, can we, let's just plan on doing another podcast. Okay. I don't know when we'll figure it out, but this has been a, this has been an absolute pleasure, man. I really enjoyed talking with you about comedy. Yeah, I like talk, um, I could talk for days. About it. Well, I think we could probably talk music. I'm curious mm-hmm. about clowning too. You mentioned that a couple of times. Like I, that's something that I'm just very curious about. And then also, um, improv. I know Mike Malone is an improv guy too. I've yeah. never done improv, but I always say this, that, uh, my, when you ask me about comic performers, like not standups, like let's just say comic performers, let's group us all together. Stand-up comedians, uh, sketch guys, um, actors, like when it comes to funniness, my favorite comic performers are always improv guys. Across the board, uh, Farley, probably I hold him in the highest esteem of people who've made me laugh. Um, uh, Bill Murray, um, and, and just on and on. So anyway, I'm fascinated with improv. So we got a lot of stuff we could talk about. Um, but let's go ahead and make sure good one comedy. So let me make sure I have the UR, the URL correct. Uh, bear with me here. Let me pull this up. Good one comedy is actually, and I like this. This is really cool. So everyone, there's a goodonecomedy.com. And if you go there, there's actually clickable links to both their shows and their Zoom mics, which just makes things so much easier. Um, and fucking A, man, if you're a comedian, you need to be on these good one comedy mics because oh. they're so accessible. They're um, five o'clock Eastern eight o'clock Eastern Monday through Sunday. What? No excuse. Motherfuckers get out there and tell some jokes. So, um, anyway, anything else did I miss? Is there anything you want to promote Sean before we close out? Let me think for one second. Yep. I want to, Oh, I forgot one other name. Jean Marco Serezi is one of my favorite comedians and he's uh one of the people who influenced me to do stand-up and he would probably be mad at that because he always wants everyone to quit so there's more room for him <laughs> john marco what john marco serezi he had a uh i don't know how to spell that command. last name can you help me out here s-o-r-e-s-i okay i'm just i put all of these guys into my google search and i'm going to yeah. check them all john marco is a special is called shelf life i was supposed to go to the specials recording but i was afraid to go anywhere at that time uh i and, think that's uh, a wise move and uh unemotional roller coaster by jacob williams uh i just can't recommend those two specials enough okay i'm sure there's a hundred other special i mean i watch a special almost every single day if not two or three um doing your homework i yeah i <laughs> i i have seen jacob williams i know this face um, yeah he's been at the mics off and on 
Okay. He, he was there every day for months. Oh, uh, man. Uh, and promote your podcast. <laughs> nice. Well, no, yeah, yeah, your podcast, everyone. That's right. Let's go check out. And that was awesome. Is that on all the um, different RSS feeds out there? I think it's just on, we're sharing it on Facebook right now. It's basically Ruben and Wolf and I, we watch an episode of the Goldbergs and then we talk about, we, we dissect it and nice. talk about all the pop culture references. But Ruben Wolf's really lazy and he hasn't done editing. And we actually, when John Marco Cerezi's a special came out. We had him on our show so we could promote it, and he still hasn't edited that one. So, son of a bitch. God damn you, Ruben. I love fucking Ruben. My goodness. Cool. Well, thank you very much, Sean. And, um, yeah, Thanks we're going to have me. to do this again sometime. Oh, yeah. Cool.